0: This is Optimal Finance Daily, episode 1878, Assessing Your Financial Health, part two, by Chris Mamula of caniretireyet.com. And I'm your host and personal finance enthusiast, Diana Merriam. Today's post is actually a continuation from yesterday. So if you're new here, it'd be best to listen to yesterday's episode first. But if you're all caught up, let's hear part two and continue optimizing your life. Assessing Your Financial Health, Part 2, by Chris Mamula of CanIRetireYet.com. Long term debt coverage ratio. Long term debt coverage ratio equals annual after tax income divided by annual payments due on total long term debt payments, mortgage, car loans, student loans, etc. If it's more practical and intuitive, you could also use monthly income and debt expenses. A ratio of less than 2.5 is considered a red flag that if income is disrupted, you may quickly have a hard time covering your debt obligations. The higher the ratio, the better equipped you are to manage your debt. Total long-term debt as a percentage of gross income. Your total debt as a percentage of gross income is calculated as Long-term debt percentage equals total monthly payment for long-term debt obligations divided by total monthly gross income. This measurement is important for several reasons. First, this ratio determines how much house you can afford in the eyes of a lender. On Freddie Mac's website, you'll find the recommendation that, quote, you should spend no more than 28% of your monthly gross pre-tax income on your mortgage payment including principal, interest, taxes, and insurance." End quote. Similarly, there's a widely accepted recommendation that your total monthly debt payments should not exceed 36% of your gross income. It's important to understand that these are not hard and fast rules meant to protect you. They come from lenders. These recommendations of how much you can afford protect them. They have the statistics and want to limit the number of people who default on their loans. If you're looking to build wealth quickly, limit your biggest expenses, which are typically housing and transportation funded by debt. So you want these percentages to be as low as possible while providing a satisfactory lifestyle. There's a second implication of understanding these rules related to debt percentage, If you're approaching retirement and are considering purchasing a home or opening a home equity line of credit, it will likely be easier to get credit prior to retirement when you have more income. Finally, understand that there are advantages to using debt, particularly when rates are extremely low. You may wanna take more debt than these income-focused rules would suggest is prudent if you have the assets to pay the debt when necessary. Measuring savings rate. Savings rate equals annual savings divided by annual gross income. If it's more intuitive, you could use both monthly savings and income. The commonly accepted recommendation is to have at least a 10% savings rate. I recently wrote about why understanding the concept of savings rate is so important, the psychological benefits of having a high savings rate, and specific tactics that enable achieving a high savings rate. I regularly share that in our household, we had a 50% savings rate. Conceptually, this is an extremely important concept to understand. Here's our dirty little secret. I've never actually calculated our savings rate. I've read and listened to fire bloggers who get very focused on optimizing their savings rate, seemingly at the expense of joy at times. Early on, we didn't understand tax planning. So we roughly saved 50% of our after-tax income, which is actually less than a 50% savings rate when factoring in taxes we paid. In later years, we eliminated our mortgage and were fully utilizing all tax-advantaged investment accounts we had available. So we saved well over 50% of our gross income. Some years, we traveled internationally, attended Super Bowls, or purchased big-ticket items like outdoor gear, home improvements, or even cars with cash. Those years we saved less. Other years we went backpacking locally and didn't make any big purchases. Those years we saved more. Bottom line, we kept structural expenses low and saved a lot more than 10%. If you're struggling with saving, calculating and tracking your savings rate over time can be extremely beneficial. If you already have a very high savings rate, I don't think it much matters if you're saving 60.4% versus 63.2% of your income. There is a risk of losing sight of what's important. Assessing progress towards financial independence. The one measure we've used in the last decade to assess our financial health was not taught in my CFP coursework. It's rarely discussed outside of fire blocks. Like savings rate, I think it's extremely valuable conceptually we regularly track our investments as a multiple of our annual expenses. This is expressed as investments as a multiple of expenses equals total investment value divided by total annual spending. This is simply the inverse of the idea that you're financially independent when you can take a percentage of your assets from your portfolio indefinitely without exhausting the portfolio. For example, the inverse of the 4% rule shows you need to accumulate 25 times your annual spending. The advantage of this metric over net worth is the perspective provided by understanding how long your money may last, depending on your spending. Every dollar you won't spend in retirement is $25 you don't need to accumulate if you're assuming a 4% safe withdrawal rate. Most recommendations regarding how much you need to retire use a percentage of your income in your working years. Rules based on income are fairly accurate for many people because most people, regardless of income, spend most of what they make and save very little. But those guidelines ignore the fact that you have the choice to not do that. There are downsides to tracking your investments as a multiple of spending. Seeing the impact spending has can encourage you to focus too much on frugality, cutting spending to a fault, Overemphasis on minimizing spending can also lead you to put on blinders as to how much you will spend in the future on things like healthcare. This can lead to poor assumptions that can come back to bite you. How do you measure financial health? Clearly, there's no one perfect measure of financial health. Each of those I chose to discuss highlights one component of financial wellness and ignores others. None is perfect. Still, it's worth having a few metrics that measure those things that are important to you and that do so accurately. You just listened to part two of the post titled Assessing Your Financial Health by Chris Mamula of CanIRetireYet.com. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping? After trying out Monarch for myself, I understand why it's the top-rated personal finance app. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com/OFD. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y.com/OFD for your extended 30-day free trial. I often hear people talk about what is a safe percentage of income to spend on housing or a mortgage, and 30% is typically quoted. I've definitely had times in my life, when I was living in New York City, for example, where my housing was a higher percentage of my income, but it always made me feel insecure. Currently, my mortgage is 10% of my income, simply because I bought a house way below my means when I was making much more money. I find that if you can do really well in the most expensive areas of your life, like housing, you have less of a need to sweat the small stuff like getting Starbucks a few times a week. Savings rate is discussed often in the FIRE community, and for good reason. The more you can increase the gap between your income and spending and invest that gap, the faster you'll reach financial independence. But just like net worth, which was discussed yesterday, this number is going to fluctuate, so it might be more useful for you to track average savings rate for the year. I used to track it monthly. and usually had about a 60% savings rate, I recall one month when I had a 45% savings rate and I felt like a failure. That is completely ridiculous. 45% is an amazing savings rate. But I think it helps illustrate my final point. These various ways of assessing our financial health are meant to be useful, not provide a way for us to feel bad about ourselves. And that's another episode and weekend of Optimal Finance Daily in the books. I'll be back with more posts for you on Monday. So have a great rest of your weekend and I'll catch you tomorrow where your optimal life awaits.